I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We're Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, the 384th day of dystopia. Let's get right into it with the communist state media trying to revise the past, reframe the present and present a future that they believe will allow them to continue to hold the public trust and attention. This is CNN's medical spokescommunist, Leanna Wen. Do you agree with the move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. Now, there's the first lie. She's right that everybody kind of agreed that these mitigations would be removed when we can except they didn't really carry that along very far. That was always what they would say when the mitigation steps were put in place. But we immediately went from two weeks to slow the spread to another two weeks to two months to, well, maybe at the end of the summer to, well, maybe at the end of the winter when cold season dies, maybe when we get a vaccine, maybe a year into the vaccines. Well, maybe never. This is the new normal. So that never happened. And to remove a mitigation step when we can means that the mitigation step is not fulfilling the upside function, the protection, the benefit that we have calculated to warrant it versus the downside cost of what we're doing. Meaning the risk incurred from the mitigation step isn't worth it for the benefit of that mitigation step. And that would be an entirely rational way to have handled things, except they didn't handle things that way. And they didn't make those calculations and they didn't communicate what the risks were and what the benefits were. It turns out there have been no benefits to any of the mitigation techniques. Lockdowns did not work. Masks did not work. And neither of them were ever recommended by science. They were recommended by people on television who had an entirely different agenda apart from saving lives and ensuring good health outcomes in the middle of a very deadly pandemic. They have done nothing but advertise masks, vaccines and lockdowns for years. Leanna Wen was speaking in favor of vaccine mandates so that people would lose their jobs or be barred from going to grocery stores or getting on planes. That's who this person is. 
And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. The science has changed. The science on lockdowns and masks have changed. That's what she's saying and implying when I'm bringing up lockdowns. She's speaking specifically about masks. But the science hasn't changed. There was never science in history that said masking healthy people could help to prevent the spread of an airborne aerosolized virus. There was never any proof ever in history that that would work. And of course, it didn't work. And there's no proof in reality now that it did. The question we should be asking is, if masks work, why didn't they? They didn't work anywhere. They have not slowed the spread anywhere. They have not saved lives anywhere. It's only downside with masking. It's only control with masking. There is no benefit to masking. And they admit that now. They admit that cloth masks don't work, even though they were the mask of choice for every communist for the last two years. But now the child brains are convinced that to be a good communist, they need to wear N95 masks, which also don't work because they don't know how N95 masks do work. N95 masks need to fit snugly to your face. I have scruff. I have a beard, a scruffy beard. An N95 mask would not work on my face unless I shaved. That's actually how N95 masks are used. But nonetheless, you can go into your local gym or grocery store or anywhere out in the rain, out in the bright, hot sunshine, and you can see a person with a wet mask, a sweaty mask. Well, those don't work and you can't touch them and you can't take them on and off because you're immediately destroying whatever effectiveness they might have. But nonetheless, we have child brains communists walking around the world now with N95 masks on to model good behavior for everyone else. And they know that the cloth masks don't work now because the CDC has told them. And CNN has told them. So now they feel safe. Oh, those cloth masks don't work. They put on their N95 because they don't give one shit about wasting money on anti-scientific nonsense. And they'll go around imagining that they're being a good role model for other people. They think it's acceptable that people wear cloth masks because at least they're showing respect to the mask regime. What they're doing doesn't do anything at all, but they're being respectful to the sorts of people who now believe that N95 masks are our salvation, even though it took them two years to wake up to that. And what is the behavior? Honestly, they go out into the world showing everybody that I'm behaving better than you. I am the most well-behaved, the most compliant. I will do whatever I am told. I am a rule follower. You can trust me to follow the rules. Now give me social credit and money. It is so childish. It is so childish. I talk about the child brain a lot, right? They're just responding to simple incentives. There is no thought behind it. And they don't even understand the incentives because their parent is the state. And the state is the worst parent. The state wants control. It doesn't want you to become a thriving adult. It wants you to be where you are because you're not in the club. But if you comply, if you follow the rules, if you repeat the slogans, well, we're going to make your life a little bit less hard because, yeah, it's up to us. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. 
The vaccines work very well against Omicron? No, they don't. Not even the drug companies are keeping that pretense alive. The vaccines don't work very well against anything. The vaccines cannot stop infection, transmission, serious illness, or death. The good thing is that Omicron doesn't cause serious illness or death. But on the other hand, the vaccine does cause new variants. So the vaccine is actually the most counterproductive of all the mitigation steps. And that's becoming pretty damn obvious. It has got devastating health consequences. It does create other variants because it is a leaky vaccine. It is destroying people's immune systems in a permanent way. And the spike protein is the very same that's in the virus. And of course, we know from the DARPA documents that came out, The virus itself was originally a bat vaccine. So all of that is nonsense. Widely available vaccines to five-year-olds. She's advertising the suffering and death of children. That is what she is doing. We know enough by now to stop lying about this. But that's not what you're going to get from the state media propaganda networks. And we also know about one-way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks, if you wear a high-quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. Now, Leanna Wen is an awful communist in every way imaginable, but there's this funny thing with her voice. It always kind of goes, at the end of like certain sentences, like she's powering off and then powering back on. Like the newer cars that will kind of shut down halfway when you're at a red light. That's like Leanna Wen's voice. But she just said, we now know about one-way masking. Do you remember at the beginning of masking how everybody kind of understood that the mask doesn't actually protect you from a virus? But then they sold us on the idea that my mask protects you and your mask protects me. Because if I have the virus, my mask will hold in some of the droplets of the virus when I sneeze or cough. Except, of course, the masks still don't do that. But that's how it was sold to everybody. You have to wear your mask for someone else, and that person has to wear their mask for you. If you're wearing your mask, that says you don't want to kill other people. And other people will wear their mask to say, I don't want to kill you. Now, if you don't wear your mask, that gives everybody else the right to say, hey, you're killing me and everyone else. That is one of the fundamental foundational arguments of all of the masky creed. And it has been from the beginning. And we already agreed and knew that masks actually don't help in one direction, but she's going to sell it anyway. And did you hear her say high quality? That means you have to get an N95 and then your mask will work. And so in this case, I'm not saying, I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district or the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that their child can wear a mask if needed. So it shouldn't be a state mandate. It should be an individual choice. Well, that's what they're doing now after a year and a half, almost two years of conditioning mask use. They're going to trust that the child brains communists who still watch CNN 
will go right along with what she's saying. Yeah, fine. Yeah, no one should force my kid or your kid to wear masks. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm going to still do it. And I'm still going to shame people if they're not doing it. And Leanna and Wen knows that they're going to go ahead and do that. So she's trying to give back one little ounce of freedom to all of the child brains. She's saying the rules for you have now changed. We're going to make the rules a little nicer to you. You're still going to have to follow them and you're still going to have to enforce the spirit of the rule, even though we're not going to enforce the actual wearing of the mask. And she admits in this segment that masking children has negative effects on their health and mental well-being, but she still says it's not a bad idea for parents to do it if they want. But I'm a conspiracy theorist, and she is a public health expert, so she must mean it in a smarter and more scientific way than I can possibly understand. Um, You know, take New Jersey, the case in New Jersey, for instance, their new case average is just over 4,000. Um, is that an acceptable number to do this, or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point? I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point, especially when we're dealing with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have, have, have at least some level of protection, either through vaccination or immunity. Now, remember, in the first clip, when she said, Circumstances have changed, cases are declining, and the science has changed. So we shouldn't be looking at case counts at all right now, but we should also be thinking about case counts, and that's how we realize that masks aren't necessary. She has had both of those positions within the span of a minute and a half, and she says it's because we're dealing with a milder variant. Of course, they also lied about not only the case numbers, the hospitalizations and the death numbers. They lied about the seriousness of the initial variant and the Delta variant as well. The infection fatality rate from COVID has never been more than one in 1000 people who get the virus might die. And almost all of the people who make up that one in 1000 are significantly older than the average population, significantly older in many cases than 70 years old, 75 years old. And they have an average of four comorbidities. And I don't need to make the argument that COVID is not in some way real or that it hasn't killed anybody to understand that it was never even as close to as dangerous as we were told. Many of the people who died of COVID, with COVID, and from COVID died of other things. And the number one cause is the hospital malpractice due to Anthony Fauci's protocols, namely remdesivir and a ventilator. They restricted hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. If they had focused on therapeutics from the beginning, we would have had no problem. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions. So we can relax all restrictions, but it has to be tied to a capacity of ICUs 
even though they've already intentionally reduced the capacity of those ICUs and then exacerbated it with the vaccine mandates for health workers that are going to be illegal, unconstitutional and rejected by the courts. And again, the narrative underneath what she's saying is we still have this problem. We're still going to put these things back in place as if they worked. But right now, because the threat's not high enough, we're going to take them away because we don't need them. But we never need them because they don't work. And I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed, should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, in, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities. There has been a cost to them. So the risk benefit calculation has really changed. Got that? Masks don't work, but we might need them if the science changes again. Even though we know they have these huge costs on children. They also have a huge cost on adults as well. And anybody who is in denial of that is just deranged. And yes, communists still wearing masks. I am talking absolutely to you. You are deranged for still wearing that mask. You are deranged for arguing that masks work and you are deranged for allowing them to be put on children and encouraging that sort of thing. And I think we're going to hear a lot more about Leanna Wen in the future. This woman is going to crash and burn, and few people deserve it more than her. This is her from right after the Boston Marathon bombing. She was on CNN giving her expert advice in that situation, too. And this has been out there for a while, obviously, but today felt like the right day to pop a little bit of it in. Joining me now is Dr. Lena Wen. She's an emergency room physician who was working at Massachusetts General Hospital the day of the terror attack. She also works at Brigham and Women's Hospital. So you were at Massachusetts General Monday. What happened? Oh, it was a horrific day. We had no idea what was coming. It was three o'clock and we heard that there were two explosions, but we didn't know where. We had no idea how many people were coming to us. How many people came? It seemed like dozens, and it was. It was probably nearly three dozen patients in two hours or so. And was the hospital ready for it? I heard from Dr. Walls from the other uh, Brigham Women's Hospital that because of all the drills the hospitals here have been running since 9-11, you were unbelievably prepared. Technically and medically, we were ready. We had done drills. We knew what to do with each individual patient who came in. But I've never seen trauma like this before. The volume and the nature of the trauma was really chilling and really shocking. And on a personal note, you hadn't yet heard from your husband while this was all going on, and then you hear a cell phone ring, you reach into your pocket, but it wasn't your cell phone ringing. Yeah, so we actually lived just a block away from here, from Coffee Square, and my husband had told me that he was coming to watch at the finish line, 
and then we heard that the explosions happened. So while I was treating patients, I had no idea whether the next patient was going to be my husband. I oh. thought, I mean, I really thought because there was soot and blood everywhere, I thought there was a good chance that the next patient I'd be seeing on the stretcher would turn out to be my husband. She used to sound so lifelike. Now, as much fun as it is to make fun of these communists when they're doing this sort of thing that is so obviously dishonest and hypocritical, it's also important to understand exactly how they're going to try to worm their way out of the hole they've dug for themselves. What she's doing is very similar to what people like Anthony Fauci do, the things that people like Mark Milley do, for instance. All these politicians who are involved with the global communist agenda, they can't actually argue their positions because they can't even explain their own positions. Their positions are not based on reality. Their positions are based on a plan for utopia. We have the most incompetent and narcissistic people in the world, people whose parents or grandparents or great grandparents did something semi-important a while ago, gave them a super easy life. And now that they have used nepotism and corruption and favor trading to put themselves in positions of power and influence, now they get to tell everybody else how great the world is going to be if you just listen to them. And they have the power, so they're going to go ahead and implement these plans. And the plans don't have to work. They don't care about the plans working. They're selling them to you so that you will go along with it. They do need the people to comply. They don't need the plans to do what they tell the people they're going to do. They only need the plans to take society from the place it's at to the place they want it to be, which is a top-down authoritarian control of everything. We are watching them censor. We are watching the state merge with corporate interests. We do not have to pretend it is something other than it is. Now, let's move on to a more serious topic. Yesterday in Arizona, Mark Fincham, along with a slew of other members of the House and Senate, introduced a resolution to decertify Arizona's electors in the 2020 election. And I'm going to share this with you. In these resolutions, basically every paragraph starts with whereas, okay? I'm going to skip the whereases because no one wants to hear that. It's just a statement that, hey, this is what's going on. Okay, so this is the resolution. A declaration of the results of statewide electoral contest in the 2020 general election is in dispute with probable cause to believe that multiple discrepancies exist, both criminal and non-criminal in nature. And that so many questionable ballots were commingled with legitimate ballots across the state of Arizona that significant voter disenfranchisement has occurred, making the election irredeemably compromised. The Constitution of the United States provides for enumerated powers of the federal government. Moreover, the Tenth Amendment specifies such enumerated powers as negative rights of the federal government while protecting vast unenumerated powers for the state governments, stating the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So basically anything that the federal Constitution doesn't claim as a federal role for government 
is left to the states and anything the state doesn't claim is left to the people to decide for themselves. Elections are specifically left to the states. Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution empowers state legislatures, including the legislature of the state of Arizona, to prescribe the times, places, and manner of conducting elections. The definition of manner is at the sole discretion of the legislature. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the United States Constitution empowers state legislatures, including the legislature of the state of Arizona, to direct the manner of appointing electors for president and vice president of the United States. Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution, known as the Guarantee Clause, guarantees each state a Republican form of government, the foundation of which is self-governance through free and fair elections accurately reflecting the will of the people. The Constitution of the United States guarantees a Republican form of government. That means that people will and must be governed by those people they elect to govern them. The choice will always be with the people and the people can reject these choices in free and fair elections. If you take away the ability to have free and fair legitimate elections, then you have taken away the Republican form of government. And that becomes ever obvious the more the federal government tries to amass power and centralize power as they're doing with the Voting Rights Act. And yes, I know, child brains, states' rights are racist, doesn't even make sense, okay? The South that you're scared of having rise again, that's you, okay, Democrats, that's you. The country was scared of you rising again. But hey, commies, you got close. It was a great try, honestly. The 15 counties within the state of Arizona conducted an election on November 3rd, 2020 for federal offices, including selecting electors, for, including for president and vice president of the United States. The legislature of the state of Arizona has exercised its authority to establish election administration procedures for the state under Arizona revised statutes, Title 16, commonly known as the Arizona Election Code. Title three, section two of the United States Code further empowers state legislatures to appoint electors if the election failed to produce a clear winner of an election due to tampering. Again, this is another thing that the centralized federal government, the uniparty, the global communist agenda is attempting to strip from our law. They are trying to make it so that the electors are tied to the raw vote totals of whatever votes they can flood into the system. And of course, that's what they want, because this is their doom. This is what happens when your ideas are so toxic and so terrible that they only serve a very tiny portion of the country who gets ever richer while everyone else suffers. This is the sort of situation our Constitution was designed to prevent. And I would bet on the idea that the Constitution was designed well enough to ultimately have prevented it. We are going to get through this, and this is a step in that direction. The Arizona Revised Statute, Section 16. Uh, 121.01 subsection B paragraph two specifies conditions to be a qualified elector and disqualifying factors from being such, including, quote, that the registrant has not resided in this state for 29 days next preceding the election or other event 
for which the registrant's status as properly registered is in question. The Arizona Election Code requires that all persons voting in an election must be registered to vote 29 days before an election by law and voter registration was extended by the federal judiciary to October 23rd in direct conflict with Arizona revised statute section 16101 subsection a paragraph three a violation of the separation of powers. Correct. The Arizona Election Code requires election officials at polling places and points where ballots are received via U.S. Postal Service to authenticate the signatures of in-person voters. Pattern analysis of early voting ballot return envelopes revealed that of 34,448 such ballot return envelope images, there were two copy, three copy and four copy duplicates originating from 17,126 unique voters, while no duplicates were reported in Maricopa County's canvas report. Got that? The duplicate ballots of this one type already eclipse the margin of Joe Biden's fake victory. Maricopa County reported 1,455 ballot envelopes having no signatures. Yet they were counted contrary to ARS, that's Arizona Revised Statutes, Section 16547, Subsection A, which requires the following. I declare the following under penalty of perjury. I am a registered voter in, and you list the county, Arizona. I have not voted and will not vote in this election in any other county or state. I understand that knowingly voting more than once in any election is a class five felony, and I voted the enclosed ballot and signed this affidavit personally, unless noted below. The requisite audit agent signatures for 16 Maricopa County early voting ballot transport statements are missing, thus breaking the requisite chain of custody. The count of ballots contained in a transfer box for 19 Maricopa County early voting ballot transport statements are missing, thus breaking the requisite chain of custody. The requisite chain of custody for 12 Maricopa County early voting ballot transport statements was broken by missing one sealed signature. The requisite chain of custody for 15 Maricopa County early voting ballot transport statements was broken by missing one received signature. The requisite chain of custody for 15 Maricopa County early voting ballot transport statements was broken by missing two sealed signatures. So these are different ways that the chain of custody has been broken in violation of election law in Maricopa County. Okay, all the votes that come from that are then illegal. You don't just get to count every vote. They have to follow a system. The rules are in place to ensure that the outcome is free and fair. Actually, many of the rules are in place to ensure that these systems can be abused and manipulated through loopholes. But in spirit, these rules exist to create free and fair elections. And they understand that violating these rules compromises the integrity of the election. And all of that stuff was known way before they sent their electors down to Washington, D.C. The election was illegal in full, just like it was in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and a whole bunch of other states. Pennsylvania, as we know, the Court of Appeals there ruled Act 77 
unconstitutional. That accounts for around 2.6 million ballots in Pennsylvania. All of them are illegal. If you run half your election in an unconstitutional manner, your election is unconstitutional. It should have never been certified. And that's obvious. And they'll, they're in the process of appeal. And it'll probably be held up according to the law, just as it, as it is now. The election was unconstitutional. It was illegal. Likewise, in Wisconsin, before the electors were certified, a, the Supreme Court in Wisconsin had deemed that the indefinitely confined voter status was improperly used. And those ballots that were improperly assigned as indefinitely confined status should have been illegal. That was somewhere in the range of 150,000 to 200,000 ballots. Just right there. Joe Biden's pretend margin of victory, poof, gone. But the courts in Wisconsin also deemed the ballot drop boxes unconstitutional. And that's another anywhere between, they don't know, somewhere between an estimated 300,000 and 1 million votes in Wisconsin. So right there, you've got 2.6 million votes in Pennsylvania and anywhere between 450,000 and 1.2 million votes illegal in Wisconsin. These elections should never have been certified. And this is why they all should and will be decertified. The only thing missing at this point is the political pressure on the representatives in these states. They believe that they can ignore this stuff and make fun of it and it'll all go away and they'll have their elections this fall. The rhino establishment will keep the Republicans in office. The Republicans could throw all of this out tomorrow if they were all on the right page, if they all cared about saving the country instead of preserving their political power, preserving the uniparty global communist agenda. That is what they are there to do. They are there to follow orders and they are happy to accept the payoffs that come with that power, or they are so compromised that they will do anything they're told to make sure that that bad stuff about them never gets out. That is where we are in the country right now. That is the only thing holding us back. Back to the resolution. Election Day poll workers and observers testified to observing discrepancies in ballot handling, that ballot chain of custody was breached in case after case, that poll watchers and observers were not allowed to be on site or close enough to observe whether poll workers were following proper identification processes, that poll workers were made to stay seated or in a particular area far away from where voting activity was occurring, that poll workers were reprimanded for asking questions, and that poll workers observed bias in voting. Some voters were made to vote a provisional ballot, while others were instructed to simply retrieve proof of residence showing improper and biased voting center activity when, in certain circumstances, workers were instructed to call the elections department for voter authorization as opposed to following standardized protocols applicable to all voters. And what they're saying there is that if they had an error on their end and didn't have a ballot for a person, or if a person arrived to vote in person, and they were told, no, your vote has actually already been cast by mail. What they would give that person, if that person is a Republican, if they were on the no-no list, is a provisional ballot, which they actually don't even ever have to count and often don't count. Meanwhile, for other people, for the good people, for the people who are allowed to vote, well, they... They get to cure their ballots. They get to go bring home a water bill or whatever, and then they can vote. 
And so much of this was known well before the electors were sent to Washington, D.C. You could have watched the hearings in all these states that Rudy Giuliani went around the country putting on. You can hear actual election workers from all of those states showing and telling exactly what happened and why it was a problem. All of this has been fraud and abuse from the beginning. The system is set up to allow for it. There's no other way Joe Biden could have gotten 81 million real legal American votes. And of course, he didn't. They just gave us a number. The television gave us a number. And now people believe it because people believe whatever the television says. CNN is like if they made blues clues for politics, just a bunch of little child brained people sitting around watching cartoons all day. Nicole Hannah Jones pops up on television. Oh, I like the I like the red haired crazy lady. It's important to note, by the way, that all of these claims that exist in this resolution are actually things that they have proven in Arizona. All right. Much of this stuff has been turned over to the Arizona attorney general who is investigating all this stuff. And I know people have their doubts about Mark Burnovich. That's just fine. It's just fine. I am more than content to let this situation develop because it is only going in one direction. It has only ever been going in one direction. And there is no amount of roadblocking they can do to stop this. Testimony was given describing the following observations. Trays of mail-in ballots were brought into tabulating rooms to be properly and independently checked and counted by processing teams of two different parties whose envelopes had already been pre-opened in the mailroom. Batches and trays of ballots by the thousands in one four to five hour shift were carried to rooms and off site where they were not overseen. Workers in the ballot processing room were allowed to retain their personal purses and backpacks and were observed rummaging through them, presenting opportunity for ballot tampering. Ballots were moved to rooms where there were no independent ballot watchers. Signatures on ballots did not match and thousands more in a four to five hour period were not verified before being counted or quote unquote run through electronic signature adjudication which alone could comprise hundreds of thousands of ballots in Maricopa County, in which 1.875 million out of 2 million were cast by mail. Does that sound normal to you? A county that large and 90% of the people there choose to vote by mail? There was inadequate and improper oversight in which only one independent ballot observer from two different parties was assigned to observe the ballot processing activities of 90 tables at one time and from a distance. Election observers witnessed the following computers and laptops with Internet connection capability in the tabulation centers over votes for candidate Trump were not counted even when voter intent was clear. Some ballots were changed from candidate Trump to candidate Biden, but observers were never provided answers regarding how or when they were to be rectified. 30 of the same signature on 30 different ballots, but the attorney general's election fraud unit was not notified. An election volunteer testified to observing 100,000 votes per day in the adjudication room over three days, being improperly processed and a Dominion employee making a copy of an entire voter file and taking it off the METEC with him, thus breaking the requisite chain of custody. And the METEC is the election center. 
Evidence was presented that individuals were permitted to vote in violation of Arizona revised statute section 16122, which states no person shall be permitted to vote unless such person's name appears as a qualified elector in both the general county register and in the precinct register or list of the precinct and election districts or proposed election districts in which such person resides, except as provided in sections 16125, 16135, and 16584. The Arizona Election Code authorizes poll watchers selected by candidates and political parties to observe the process of canvassing, absentee, and mail-in ballots in certain counties in the state, but the watchers were not allowed to meaningfully observe the pre-canvassing and canvassing activities related to absentee and mail-in ballots. They just straight up didn't bother allowing the observers to observe. But that was probably just an oversight. It was probably human error. These are all baseless claims. There's no evidence our election was illegal. The Arizona election code is silent on contested elections in which proof of fraud sufficient to alter the outcome of an election is predicted and testimony detailing the fraud is taken. On November 30th, 2020, members of the legislature of the state of Arizona sitting as an ad hoc public fact finding hearing on election integrity the panel, as it'll be referred to, heard testimony and received evidence that through extraordinary means, the vote count in some counties was electronically altered to award enough votes to a candidate that did not actually receive said number of votes in such a volume so as to alter the outcome of the election. You think they're just making it up? Okay, Kami, go with that. It is well settled civil rights law under the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution that to protect individual franchise of sovereignty commonly known as suffrage, the legal doctrine of one person, one vote shall apply to all elections. The Arizona legislature has the duty to ensure that no citizen of this state is disenfranchised, to insist that all elections be conducted according to the law, and to satisfy the general public that every legal vote is counted accurately. Mathematical modeling evidence was presented to the panel to explain how the slope of tabulation for the presidential candidates could only be explained by a vote count of 130% of one party's registered voters, revealing the violation of one person, one vote. But sure, that probably happened too. On November 30th, 2020, the panel was shown evidence that while tabulation of votes using vote tabulation equipment was intended, through extraordinary means, fractional vote calculation occurred, awarding more than one vote to one candidate and less than one vote to another. Evidence related to the matching of signature records made by voters predating the election to those found on paper ballot envelopes was provided. Evidence was received by the panel that votes for candidate Trump were intermittently and in some cases immediately assigned to candidate Biden and votes for candidate Trump were not tabulated. My, 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 that sounds like a problem. The Arizona Senate forensic audit revealed key cybersecurity failures of the system necessary for electronic tabulation of votes, including the failure to perform basic operating system patch management and the failure to update antivirus definitions, despite the claim that the system was not configured to access the Internet, nor capable of accessing the Internet, which represents a significant security risk as reported by the Senate's qualified 
cyber forensic analysis provider. Election Assistance Commission certification defense is not valid in view of the evidence. The 4.exe files were created after Dominion software install. That 45.dll files were modified after the Dominion software install. That 377.dll files were created after the Dominion software install. That 1053.dll files were modified after the Dominion software install. And that there was a failure to preserve security logs as reported by the Senate's qualified cyber forensics analysis provider. 865 directories and 85,673 election-related files, scanned ballots, DVD files, slog.txt files, etc. were deleted between October 28th, 2020 and November 5th, 2020. 9,571 directories and 1,064,746 election-related files were deleted between November 1st, 2020 and March 16th, 2021. 304 directories and 59,387 files containing election data were deleted from the high pro scanner one on March 3rd, 2021, 1,016 directories and 196,463 files containing election data were deleted from the high pro scanner three on March 3rd, 2021. And 981 directories and 191,295 files containing election data were deleted from the high pro scanner four on March 3rd, 2021, as reported by the Senate's qualified cyber forensics analysis provider, all showing an illegal destruction of election records under 52 United States Code Section 20701. There is clear evidence of intentional remote overwriting of the security logs by the Elections Management System Administrator account, where on February 11th, 2021, 462 log entries were overwritten. And on March 3rd, 2021, 37,686 log entries were overwritten. And on April 12th, 2021, 330 log entries were overwritten as reported by the Senate's Qualified Cyber Forensics Analysis Provider, all in direct violation of 52 United States Code Section 20701. That is a whole lot of deleting in the run-up to the Arizona election audit. They did all this before handing over the equipment and they have admitted to it. They admitted to it in hearings in the United States Congress. And I posted a video of that last night in the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator on Telegram. If you want to see it, they also have video evidence of the April 12th deletions. They literally have the camera footage showing the server room where two people who they have blurred out for us, although they know who the people are, they walk into the room and they delete what's on the servers. It's illegal. It's a crime. The election was a complete and total fraud and the cover up might be even worse. And it's all unraveling. You should watch and enjoy and laugh at all the child brain Biden voters who have called you a conspiracy theorist for the last two years. How is it going to end up for them? Well, they're going to realize they're not in a majority and that no one finds them moral or smart or interesting. And at that point, they're going to have a complete mental breakdown and they're going to deserve every single second of it. Hey, sorry. 
I actually tried to tell you the truth, guys. What else can I do? Maricopa County supervisors admitted on the congressional record that the general election results were purged from the election management system as evidenced by a February 1st, 2021 SQL log entry that the RTR admin account purged the general election results from the database with no corresponding Windows access log entry, as reported by the Senate's qualified cyber forensics analysis provider. Maricopa County records reveal a failure to maintain chain of custody and properly document ballot retrieval and transport, which makes it impossible to verify the origin of the ballots counted in the election under scrutiny. Arizona statutes set out specific requirements for secure ballot retrieval and chain of custody procedures of the transfer of voted ballots from drop boxes and vote centers. Maricopa County officials violated Arizona statutes and do not have the required chain of custody for at least 740,000 ballots. How about that, commies? 740,000 ballots without chain of custody. Those are illegal. Do you really think Joe Biden won, you clowns? And when people tell me that I'm crazy to believe that Joe Biden didn't get anywhere over 50 or 55 million votes, and I could honestly believe a whole lot less than that. Well, here's why I believe it, because there are a million plus votes that are just straight up illegal in medium sized states. California probably has 10 million illegal votes. I would be surprised if California had fewer than 10 million illegal votes. I bet it's maybe even more than that. And considering that we know Donald Trump got 75 million that they've told us about, and it's likely a hell of a lot higher than that. Well, in past elections, you only had about 130 million people voting. In this one, you just created an extra 27 million voters. So it's really not that hard to see where Joe Biden's total can be reduced by 25 or 30 million votes. There is that much fraud, I'm sorry to say. But also, we've got all the proof all over the place. Yes, the efforts are focused strategically on states that are close enough that people know have they have an underlying understanding that something there may have gone wrong. And when those states collapse and their votes flip, everyone will know what the proper outcome was. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to get it all in the other states, too. Lindell doesn't say, for instance, that he only has the data from the swing states. He has data from all the states. There was machine fraud committed in 3000 counties and they have all of it. And all of this has been true the entire time. The United States Elections Assistance Commission advocates for thorough, detailed chain of custody as a standard of care, stating keeping a proper chain of custody is more than best practice. Chain of custody documents provide evidence that can be used to authenticate election results, corroborate post-election tabulation audits, and demonstrate that election outcomes can be trusted. The Arizona legislature understood the need for ballot chain of custody and included that requirement in Arizona revised statute title 16. Moreover, the secretary of state, governor and attorney general agreed on the requirements for voted ballots deposited in early voting locations in the 2019 elections procedure manual. 
Maricopa County reported that 923,000 early voter ballots were accepted at vote centers or drop box locations and that the county lacks chain of custody documents for at least 740,000 of those early voter ballots. Look at that. Who paid for those drop boxes? Well, that's Mark Zuckerberg. That also happened in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and Nevada and all the other places that Mark Zuckerberg took his half a billion dollars and bought off local officials and set up his little drop boxes. Why did he do that? Oh, it was for COVID. Oh, yeah, it was for COVID. COVID, so dangerous that you can't go vote, except... In August of 2020, Anthony Fauci came out and he said, hey, if you can go run your errands, if you can go to the store, then certainly it's okay and safe to go vote. And then the CDC itself came out and made a statement on November 3rd, 2020. I remember reading it. I think it was in Newsweek. I made fun of it on the podcast, but they said it was actually a requirement for people to go out and vote, even if they had COVID. They said voting is so important that you have to go out. Even if you got COVID, you got to go vote. And what did they want to do with that? Did they want people with COVID to go vote? No, they wanted this story to go out there to make everyone believe that this huge turnout was happening because without huge turnout, how in the world are you going to justify Joe Biden getting 81 million real legal American votes? Of course you can't. And Donald Trump had 75 million, 74, 75 million, right? He had 63 million in 2016. So he went up by 11 or 12 million votes. Kind of strange when the whole narrative says everybody hates Donald Trump so much that turnout is just going to explode. Yeah, they hated him so much that he got 20% more votes than last time. The entire idea that Joe Biden has ever been a legitimate president, that he actually got 81 million votes is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard in my life. Like it's to the point where I have a hard time respecting the person I'm in conversation with when they are trying to tell me something that brain dead. And this is not even because I voted for Donald Trump or I want Donald Trump back. I want legal elections and I want people to be able to look at reality and tell the truth rather than listening to the television and repeating it and thinking that anyone else who doesn't listen to the television is stupid. Where in the world have we gotten as a culture? Just remember, we are months away, maybe even weeks away from an utter meltdown by all of these people. Okay. The fact that you had to sit there and get insulted and abused by dimwits for two years, it has been rough. Don't get me wrong. I understand the frustration. I understand how much a lot of people have suffered in silence. While the dumbest people they know, the angriest people they know, the craziest people they know have exerted power over them. But your time is coming, my friends. Your time is coming. Back to the resolution of the 1,895 early voting ballot transport statements. 80% have defects that violate Arizona statutes. Whoops. That's crazy. All those are illegal. Now violations of Arizona statutes include documents with no record of the number of ballots retrieved and documents that reveal a failure to assign two couriers for each ballot retrieval. The Maricopa County recorder who is responsible for enforcing the chain of custody of all ballots, 
failed to enforce the counting of ballots and record the number of ballots retrieved from each ballot drop box location. Oh, isn't that weird? Adrian Fontes and Stephen Richer forgot to do something and they still signed off that they had done it anyway. Is that illegal? Yeah. Yeah, that's illegal. Arizona law was disregarded by the Maricopa County Recorder's Office, specifically the EPM requirement that when the secure ballot container is opened by the county recorder or officer in charge of elections or designee, the number of ballots inside the container shall be counted and noted on the retrieval form. These violations of Arizona statutes are so egregious and so widespread that they demand referral to the Arizona Attorney General's office under the Arizona Election Code, which states, quote, an officer of an election who knowingly fails or refuses to perform any duty required of him under this chapter is guilty of a class two misdemeanor unless another classification is specifically prescribed. Now, Stephen Richer was on MSNBC and CNN almost every other night throughout the entire audit period, talking about how these are all conspiracy theorists and they might really be committing crimes that are threatening our democracy. Hey, it was a cover-up the whole time. You know who said that? All of us. You know who didn't believe it? All the communists and child brains. And why didn't they believe it? Because they believe that they are so smart and so automatically virtuous that they couldn't actually be wrong about something like this. They are so smart that they don't have to listen to other people as long as they can rationalize that those people in some way are not as smart, whether it's their job, their financial success, how many children they have, their education and where they went to school. This is how these people stratify the country. This is why the construct of the party of false decorum makes sense once again. People in the party of false decorum believe that they gain power and social status by pleasing those that they deem higher than them and ignoring those who are lower because the people who are lower cannot help them get where they want. They have to impress the more powerful people, which is the same notion of the people wearing the mask in the gym to be a good role model, to behave the best. Someday their parents are going to see, oh, you're the best behaved. You're going to get all the rewards. It is nothing more than preening and posturing. There's no principle. There is no morality underlying any of it. There is only a thirst for power and material gain in a materialist world. And by the way, that's why all of them like transhumanism so much. 1,514 EVBTS, okay? EVBTS is the early voting ballot transport statements. So 1,514 EVBTS forms out of a total of 1,895 forms have no ballot counts and 48 out of 1,895 unique EVBTS forms have either one retriever signature where two are, are required or have no signatures at all. Kind of shocking, isn't it, that they put up all these very real drop boxes so that they could collect all these people's very real votes because everyone knows it's easier to travel to a drop box to drop your mail-in ballot than it is to put it in your own mailbox. Child Brains actually accepted that as smart and logical. That makes 
no sense at all. We are told we need mail-in balloting because people don't have access to the polls. But then they make people leave their house to go to the drop box. How is everybody so stupid? Honestly, honestly, how are they so stupid? How do they believe everything the TV tells them? This doesn't make any sense. And it's obvious that it doesn't make any sense. These people are detached from reality in every way imaginable. How can you not realize what they're trying to do? And so when it turns out that they actually didn't have anybody sign their name. Yes, I really picked these up in a Dropbox. Yes, I'm actually putting myself as the legally accountable party to this transfer of ballots. Oh, it's missing. Oh, well, the forms are missing. Must have been human error. Must have been an oversight. But don't worry about it. Are you saying that Joe Biden's not the legitimate president? What are you, some kind of conspiracy theorist? Who cares where the forms are? Duh. Coming in hot today, baby. It's like the good old days. (laughs) The election fraud shit gets me fired up. What can I say? 23,344 voters voted via mail-in ballot, even though they show in the Melissa commercial database as having moved and no one with the same last name living at the address of record for the voter. 23,344. That is more than twice Joe Biden's fictional margin of victory. 2,382 voters voted in person, even though they show in the Melissa commercial database as having moved out of Maricopa County. 2,081 voters moved out of state during the 29 days before the election and were given a full ballot instead of a presidential only ballot. And 255,326 early votes show in the VM 55 that do not have a corresponding EV 33 entry in total, showing that the margin of error far exceeds the margin of victory by candidate Biden. Just in that section, just in that section, you have 283,000 votes for an election that they decided four days later, even though Texas and Florida were good on election night, they took an extra three or four days in Arizona to count the vote. They just have to get the whole vote in. We need three or four more days to count 2% of the vote. But hey, what won't the child brains believe? I mean, Brett Baer on Fox News called Arizona like before the polls close, and he must have been right. The TV told everybody on November 7th that Biden won. Oh, hallelujah. The television finally said the thing I was already going to say. There is additional evidence of similar crimes of compliance and manipulation of votes in Pima County and of ballot harvesting in violation of Arizona revised statute section 16, 1005 in Yuma County. The state of Arizona's general election results were certified on November 30th, 2020, when the Arizona Secretary of State, that's Katie Hobbs, the governor of the state, that's Doug Ducey, and the attorney general of the state, that's Brnovich, prematurely certified results of the November 3rd, 2020 election while a hearing was underway. While the hearing was underway. Do you remember that? Donald Trump tried calling Ducey and Ducey like made a show out of refusing Donald Trump's call because he was like, our election is so perfect. I'm just going to go ahead and certify it. I'm going to show all these conspiracy theorists and cranks that nothing's going on here. Now, get me Cindy McCain. 
<laughs> Get me Carlos Salinas. I need to fix the sky bridge at Phoenix International Airport so we can continue trafficking humans in drugs. Doug Ducey. Sorry, back to the resolution. So they prematurely certified the results while the hearing was underway, revealing election discrepancies and fraud herein enumerated, knowing that such action would deprive one or both candidates due process in the ongoing litigation regarding presidential electors. That right there implies intent. They knew that Donald Trump had not conceded. They knew that Parts of the election were under current litigation and they went ahead and certified it anyway. And now we get to the resolution part. And I know that this has been a really long time on one subject, but I figured that people were not going to go ahead and read this themselves. And I want you to understand how much evidence they actually have of fraud and illegality. This election was not legitimate in any way. Joe Biden is not in any way a legitimate president. He just isn't. This sort of thing happened in every single state in the country. Be it resolved by the House of Representatives of the state of Arizona and the Senate concurring, one, that the members of the legislature recognize that lawful voters expect that election officials in state legislatures will do their duty to ensure that lawful votes of the people as cast are honored and not diluted or debased by acts classified by the Arizona legislature as criminal acts. Two, that in the words of constitutional expert Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 68, quote, nothing was more to be desired than that every practicable obstacle should be opposed to cabal, intrigue, and corruption. These most deadly adversaries of Republican government might naturally have been expected to make their approaches from more than one quarter, but chiefly from the desire in foreign powers to gain an improper ascendant in our councils. How could they better gratify this than by raising a creature of their own to the chief magistracy of the union? But the convention have guarded against all danger of this sort with the most provident and judicious attention. Three, that when a state legislature exercises this plenary power to determine the manner in which electors are chosen, that power is governed solely by the federal constitution, the jurisprudence memorialized in Lesser versus Garnett, and that no state constitution, state law, or state court can alter or constrain that power. Four, that the appointment of these electors is thus placed absolutely and wholly with the legislatures of the several states, that this power is conferred on the legislatures of the states by the Constitution of the United States and cannot be taken from them or modified by their state constitutions, and that whatever provisions may be made by statute or by the state constitution to choose electors by the people, there is no doubt of the right of the legislature to resume the power at any time, for it can neither be taken away nor abdicated. The jurisprudence memorialized in McPherson versus Blacker. Five, that the legal doctrine ex dolo malo non oritur actio, a right of action cannot arise out of fraud, and that, quote, 
No court will lend its aid to a man who founds his cause of action upon an immoral or illegal act. The maxim lies at the foundation of a general rule of public policy, the rule that the courts will not sustain an action which arises out of the moral turpitude of the plaintiff or out of his violation of a general law enacted to carry into effect the public policy of the state or nation. That's Marshall versus Lavelle. Six. That substantial irregularities and violations of Arizona revised statute title 16 elections law are specifically classified as criminal behaviors. Seven, that significant irregularities associated with the illegal practice, commonly known as ballot harvesting, a class six felony criminal offense under Arizona law affected mail in balloting, pre canvassing and canvassing and occurred during the November 3rd, 2020 election and all of the Dropbox activity, all of it went unrecorded. People didn't sign on to it. That's all ballot harvesting under law. You got to understand that. And that is why they are trying to pass ballot harvesting into law with the federal election takeover that they're calling the Voting Rights Act. And if you don't vote for it, you're part of the KKK, like Joe Biden's mentor in politics, Robert Byrd. Eight. That there was infringement on the legislature of the state of Arizona's authority pursuant to the United States Constitution under legislative plenary power and the supremacy clause to regulate elections. Nine, that the selection of presidential electors and other statewide electoral contest results in this state involving federal offices is in dispute. Ten. That, based on the clear and convincing nature of the evidence cited in this resolution, there remains an irreconcilable controversy that cannot be resolved with the declaration of a clear winner and as such is irredeemably compromised. And by the way, I know that stuff, that sentence is kind of upsetting to hear that the states are not in the position where they're going to say, hey, we are recalling our electors, but we are not going to give them to Donald Trump. Okay, I don't think that's going to happen. I think I said in January of 2021 that I thought the way this would get resolved is by the idea that Joe Biden actually having won would eventually be just completely eradicated, that no one would believe it. And we are approaching that point a year later than I hoped, obviously, but we are approaching that point. But that the way for Trump to proceed from that point would be to say, well, let's have an election that we know will be free and fair. We're going to put XYZ regulations into effect for how we're going to do this vote. It's going to be monitored by whoever, whatever. We're t I'm talking about details here. I don't want to get lost in those details. We could have long discussions about all of them. But having another election that Trump would obviously win by, I mean, tens of millions of votes, that would provide a sort of legitimacy that just saying, oh, Trump won wouldn't provide for a lot of the country. OK, and people going and voting in a new election with legitimate results would show what the country actually looks like, what the demographics of the country really are. And we could get rid of all the silly notions like that. Ninety five percent of black Americans vote for Democrats. That's comical. That is a result of Democrats stealing black votes for generations and nothing more than that. Back to the resolution. Eleven, 
that the office of the president of the United States is in fact the chief magistrate of these United States, charged with the duty of care under the guarantee clause of the Constitution as such to maintain impartial and fair elections. 12. That Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the United States Constitution provides in relevant part that, quote, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. The Supreme Court has described the constitutional authority of the state legislatures to determine the manner of choosing electors as plenary. See McPherson versus Blacker and also Bush versus Gore. Plenary means it is their power and their power alone. And if they delegate that power at any time, they nonetheless retain the ability to pull that power back for themselves at any time. 13. That the Supreme Court of the United States has even noted that, quote, whatever provisions may be made by statute or by the state constitution to choose electors by the people, there is no doubt of the right of the legislature to resume the power at any time. That is how that plenary authority is exercised. 14. That members of the legislature hereby notify the President of the United States Senate, the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, and the members of Congress from the state of Arizona, that it is the justifiable position of the Arizona State Legislature that we set aside the results of the Maricopa County, Pima, and Yuma County elections as irredeemably compromised and reclaim the 2020 presidential electors due to the irredeemably flawed nature of these elections that prevent the declaration of a clear winner of said presidential electors. And that is the resolution. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with this resolution, okay? The political pressure might not be there to get people in the Arizona legislature to act. Rusty Bowers, who's the Speaker of the House there, has already made fun of this rev resolution. He thinks it's all a big joke. And here's what he responded. Mr. Fincham's obviously unconstitutional and profoundly unwise proposal will receive all the consideration it deserves. And that's not going to work out very well for Rusty Bowers. Karen Fan also pulled a little trick yesterday. People had come to speak before the Senate and she just waved that off. That wasn't going to be worth their time. They're too busy with election integrity bills. And she didn't want that process getting confused by these people presenting all the evidence of fraud in 2020. And I'm still open to the idea that Karen Fan might have some master plan going here that gets us the right result, but it sure doesn't look like it right now. And Karen Fan has been a problem at various times throughout this process with the audit and the public hearings regarding the audit. She has slowed this process down, it seems, and presented roadblocks for getting things like Splunk logs to the point where trusting her is pretty foolish. But hey, I'll stay open-minded just like I am with Brnovich. All I care about is the final result. And I know that things are going long today, but I want to share one more piece before I go. This is from the National Pulse today. 
Pelosi's Capitol cops tried to sneak into GOP congressman's office dressed as construction workers illegally took photos of legislative documents. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's Capitol Police are alleged to have illegally entered the office of Congressman Troy Nels of Texas, photographing confidential legislative products and grilling staff, according to reports. The police, now under formal investigation, stand accused of dressing up as construction workers and attempting another entry just two days later. The stunning Watergate-style scandal comes after almost a year of warnings that Speaker Pelosi and Democrats in Congress were politicizing the Capitol Police, using them as a Stasi-style enforcement unit against GOP opponents. Reports suggest Capitol Police have built intelligence dossiers on those illegally investigated. The documents photographed, says Nels, are, quote, protected by the speech and debate clause enshrined in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6. Nels took to Twitter to explain the multiple incidents. And Troy Nels tweeted, The Capitol Police Intelligence Division investigated my office illegally, and one of my staffers caught them in the act. On November 20th, 2021, Capitol Police entered my office without my knowledge and photographed confidential legislative products protected by the speech and debate clause enshrined in the Constitution. Two days later, on Monday, November 22nd, 2021, Thanksgiving week, three intelligence officers attempted to enter my office while the House was in recess. Upon discovering a member of my staff, special agents dressed like construction workers began to question him as to the contents of a photograph taken illegally two days earlier. They had no authority to photograph my office, let alone investigate myself or members of my staff. So why is the Capitol Police leadership maliciously investigating me in an attempt to destroy me and my character? Maybe it is because I have been a vocal critic of Speaker Pelosi, the January 6th committee and Capitol Police leadership about their handling of January 6th, the death of Ashley Babbitt and the subsequent sham investigation. In the aftermath of January 6th, a Joe Biden donor, Yogananda Pittman, was appointed the acting chief of Capitol Police. She now serves as the assistant chief for protective and intelligence operations. Pittman is responsible for, quote, Operations concerning the safety and security of the U.S. Capitol, members of Congress, staff and visitors to include threat detection and prevention, as well as the physical security systems throughout the Capitol complex, end quote. Capitol Police Chief J. Thomas Manger confirmed the inspector general has now opened an investigation after receiving multiple congressional inquiries into the Capitol Police tactics, such as those reported by Politico. Capitol Police intelligence analysts have also raised concerns to the inspector general over the department's practice. And Rahim Kassam, who is writing this piece for the National Pulse, is referring to a Politico piece from January 24th of this year. The headline in that piece, Capitol Police examines backgrounds, social media feeds of some who meet with lawmakers. And so that made news for a second a couple of weeks ago. And now we find out that it's not only the people who meet with lawmakers, it's the actual lawmakers themselves who are being investigated, which is exactly what you would expect from an illegitimate dictatorship and a communist country. And we are dealing with both of those factors right now, and you can see it. 
They lied about a pandemic. They have lied about the elections. And now they are trying to investigate the opposing political party to figure out what they're going to do next and what their cover up needs to be successful. That is what's happening here. Coronavirus, the 2020 election and January 6th are all completely false narratives that they are attempting to hold on to, because if any of those collapse, their power collapses, but they are all collapsing and nothing can stop it. But back to the article. Such tactics include a deep examination of the social media feeds of individuals who have not been suspected of any criminal activity. The practice commenced in the fall of 2020 when former Department of Homeland Security official Julie Farnham was brought on to assist in running the intelligence unit. The news follows the clearing of Lieutenant Michael Byrd for the assassination of veteran Ashley Babbitt inside the Capitol on January 6th, as well as the collapse of the narrative that Roseanne Boyland, a woman in her 30s, was killed by fellow protesters. Increasingly, it appears Capitol Police thrashed Boyland to death. And just like yesterday, once again, the question is, could all of them really have been in on it? Yes. All of the same people with all of the same goals easily could have coordinated to do exactly what they did. Yes, that is entirely possible. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just facts of a conspiracy. They are right out in the public for everyone to see and understand. The only reason that any of this is denied is because of censorship and because the state media propagandists will not tell the child brains. And until the TV tells them, okay, it's okay to believe this thing now, they're not going to believe it. They will make nonsense excuse after nonsense excuse. And then when the time is right, when it's not so scary to tell the truth, they'll come out and be the big, bold truth tellers that they always imagined themselves to be. Just like Bill Maher and Barry Weiss a few weeks ago. You can read my take on that on Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. They're not being brave. They're not speaking truth. And when they say we only just found this out now, that's a lie. We've all known it for a year and a half or two years about all of these subjects. But of course, these actions are coordinated. They're the same people. These actions all speak to their collective desire to achieve the same goals. And we know what the goals are. We know what the goals of globalism are. We know what the goals of communism are. We know what the goals of the Great Reset are. They tell us their goals. And all of the goals are the same. It is only global communism. Totalitarian rule from the top down. And you're not part of the club. That's it for today. Everybody, please keep sharing the show. I truly appreciate it. I have always said and still truly believe that all of this ends when enough people understand the truth, when enough people accept the truth. We are on that path. If I can help get people to understanding that truth, that is what I am here for. Okay. We are winning on all sorts of levels. Let's keep that winning going. Let's keep waking people up because we are getting closer every day to where we want to be. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president.
In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Moderator for tonight's broadcast. It's high noon. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct Shop.Spreadshirt.com slash Cancel-Couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to KO-FI.com slash I'mYourModerator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!